With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, January 7th, the DIY Sex Talk Edition. Actually, it's usually a Slate parenting podcast, but today we're just going to kind of hang out because we're tired and we weren't ready to come back from the holidays. And we missed each other so much. Yes. Our regular contact was gone. We're just going to hang out together and you guys can like just be here. Are you guys aware that for two full weeks I just had to hang out with my family? Yeah. Right. You are like pretty high on the list of consistent adult contact, lack of substance. And then you were gone. And and you're my only white friends, essentially. <laughs> we're happy to be your token white friends. Anyway, I'm Jamila Lemieux. <laughs> I'm a writer, I guess, a cultural critic or something. Naima's mom, she's seven, and we live in Los Angeles, California, and I'm so tired and I can't believe the holidays are over. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 15, and Harper, who's 13. We live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's eight, Oliver, who's six, Teddy, who's four, and we live in Navarre, Florida. This week, we're going to be giving advice to other people, including a family where one parent feels that giving the sex talk to a tween is a violation of the kid's privacy. And then we'll be debating what to do about a husband who becomes a surly teenager himself when his parents are around. Surely his wife shouldn't be obligated to play the cheerful peacekeeper with the in-laws, right? Or does she need to just pick up the slack for her kid's sake? Oh boy. On our Slate Plus bonus segment, we'll be talking about about the notorious Bean Dad. And of course, as always, we have triumphs and fails and recommendations. Starting off the new year, Dan, do you have a triumph or a fail? This is going to be you setting your intention for 2021. So whatever you have today is like what you're going to have for the year. That's a lot of pressure, but luckily I have a triumph. Let's hear it. All right, so you know when you're a kid and then there are those things that your parents make you do and you're like, when I have kids, I'm never going to make my kids do this stupid thing. Mm-hmm. So my triumph this week uh, is a triumph to me, but to my 12-year-old self, it is a fail <laughs> because I badgered my kids all winter break until they finally, finally, finally wrote thank you notes for the Christmas gifts that my family sent them. And the whole time I was just thinking back to 12-year-old me who hated writing thank you notes and thought it was the biggest fucking waste of time and how I know that when I was 12, I was like, if I ever have kids, my kids will just get to play with their toys. They won't have to thank people for them. I just remember it seeming like torture. I just remember sitting in my room for what seemed like a hundred hours that I could have been playing with Transformers or G.I. Joe's or whatever, mm-hmm. painstakingly filling out a whole card with words for my grandparents. Oh, 
But now here I was like, you know, 25 years later or so. And now I know how much grandparents just love that shit. And it is actually important to me in a way I just never dawned on me that it would be to make something like this happen. Even beyond that, I know that, in fact, the way that kids struggle to fill up the space is, in fact, part of the charm for grandparents, (laughs) that they love it when the kid is like, I used your present on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and I didn't use it on Friday. But I'm going to use it on Saturday. But I'm going to use it on Saturday. Yes, they love it. It's so great. Um, So I sat them down with the lists of every present they got from my mom and my dad and my brother, and I put them to work. And when they swerved from the task, I hassled them to do it some more, and they hated it and hated me, but we mailed them out yesterday. And the good news is I'm certain that the whole time all they were thinking was, when I have kids, I will never make them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I feel like I've passed on an important parenting it's, lesson. For it's the like the perfect bookend, though, because they didn't want to make the list to get the gifts. Exactly. <laughs> they also don't want to write the thank you notes for the gifts. So I guess the true triumph is that at least I didn't write the thank you. Yeah, notes. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I will say that one year my uncle Donald gave me as part of my gift permission to not write a thank you note. He was like, here's a here's a little thing. But the big gift is you do not have to write me a thank you. note. <laughs> That's really good. If any of my relatives ever do that, my kids are off the hook, but they won't. <laughs> You know what I think really makes this such a great triumph? It's not just like there's, yes, there's lots of stuff we said. I'll never do this to my kids. And some of those things we have not done or. We were right. Some of the time. We were right. You know, but like thank you notes is actually a really great life skill. It's a thing we don't do often enough. Like it's, it's a social grace and it extends into email. It's not that you'll always have to sit down and write with your hands an uncomfortable letter. Right. But. You have this thing in your head that you know that when somebody does a kindness for you, that it needs to be acknowledged gracefully. So I think this is a a big win. It's going to get them a job someday. It's going to get them a job someday. Excellent. What about you, Elizabeth? Triumph or fail for 2021? It's a triumph, but it is it is a, a full new camp triumph. So I took the boys to a new park over the break and we got there and the playground was just like way too crowded. But the playground kind of sits with a creek and there's some trees by the creek. And so I was like, OK, well, let's go play in the creek. Like we can't go to the playground because there's too many kids. Nobody's got masks on. Let's go over the creek. So we go over there and there are just like dead sticks galore. So the, my children are like, let's build a hut. I'm like, okay, so we're building a hut and every parent on the playground is staring at me weird because they have found like some big logs that they need assistance with and I'm helping bring them over and they build this like legitimate house. They cover it with pine straw. It's like you can crawl in it. Super cool. They found some river rocks. They they spent like an hour building this house. Then they were playing around it. And so some other kids kind of were coming over and I had to be kind of like, we're social distancing. Just tell them masks only inside the house. Yeah. Yeah. Masks only inside the hut. Yeah. But uh, I had already like set these kids away. So this mother comes over to me and she says, other kids want to play in the fort too. (laughs) And I said to her, we built the fort. (laughs) She said, she said, oh, this wasn't here from the playground. And I'm like, no, no, (laughs) my children just built this. And I said, we are leaving soon. (laughs) And you're you're welcome to use it when we leave, but we're social distancing and they put this together. So I felt good that I rejected some mom shame that I was hogging the play equipment that I built that was apparently better 
than the playground equipment provided. <laughs> and then I assume that when you left, you demolished that fucking hut. <laughs> Threw all the stones back in the river. No, I mean, I, I typically we would take you. it down because I feel like at a place like this, you know, the some of like we pulled up landscaping pine straw to cover our hut. So I would typically make the kids take it down. But no, I had told this woman that, you know, we would be leaving soon and then she could use she could use the fort. Mm-hmm. Good job standing up to that, mom. Uh, that would have been very hard. Well, I laughed. I just laughed when she said our kids want to play in the fort, too. I thought, clearly you were not here when I was carrying the logs from the lake bed. (laughs) But your mom from over there saw me and looked weird at me while I, you know, hauled these logs from the river. But that's pretty awesome. I think that is also uh, a very pleasant triumph to begin the year with. Yeah, Uh, rejecting mom shame in 2021. Very good. That's huge. What about you, Jamila? That's huge. So I have a triumph. So yesterday I was talking to Naima about being grateful for some of the privileges that she has, like specifically talking about my great grandmother not having graduated eighth grade, you know, and she was like, well, why, you know, why weren't they able to do that? And I said, because they had to go to work, you know, like that there was a time in this country and, you know, she didn't understand, like if your family required money, there was no law preventing, you know, you from being on the farm or being in... You know, and so um, I said, imagine if I took you out of school now and just said you had to come work with me. I said, even if it's my sort of weird media job where I blah, 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 you know, that would suck for you. And she's like, I don't think it's weird. She said, I think it's cool, meaningful, necessary, possible, and is special to me. Wow. <laughs> Spoken like a future content creator. I mean, oh my God, I could not, like, I almost pulled over. I was just like, could you say that again? <laughs> like, it was just, a, and it was in the purest, like, you know, if she's learned how to lay it on thick on purpose, she's gotten very good at acting. I will say that. <laughs> like, it was just so, like, don't say that. You know, I was trying to explain to her that after that, that weird is not a bad thing. You know, it just means different from the norm, you know? But, yeah. Um, she was like, don't make yourself small. She said, it's meaningful. And it's special to me and, and possible. Oh, I love that. That's really sweet. That's really sweet. Motivational speaking is in her future. Look I at us sailing is. into 2021. Look at us. Best parents ever. This is why they let us tell <laughs> other people to do what they kids. Because we're so good at it. All right. Well, okay. let's undercut that with some advice. Yes. <laughs> but before that, we have some business. And Slate Plus, if you were on social media this weekend, I'm pretty sure you came across the words being dad. We'll be weighing in on that. Here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear if you are a Slate Plus member. Grab your can openers. I will say that I, to some extent, empathize with being dad because there are definitely things in the book that I wrote or things that I've said on this podcast That if I presented them as a thread on Twitter with just the right kind of like asshole voice would definitely make me bean dad of the day. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free versions of your favorite Slate podcast, sign up for Slate Plus. It's just $35 for your first year. It's a great way to support all your favorite Slate shows and you won't hit a paywall on the site so you can keep up with all of Slate's important journalism. So if you'd like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, we'd sure like it. Go to slate.com backslash Mom and Dad Plus and join Slate Plus today. 
You cannot tune into my Slate Live show, The Kids Are Asleep Tonight or any other night because it has been canceled. Okay, canceled is not the appropriate word. I am returning uh, to the Slate Live airwaves later this month with a new show, a new title, a whole new everything, and it's going to be airing on a new night. So please stay tuned. And if you want to stay tuned to all of the latest and greatest shakeups in Slate Parenting, check out the Slate Parenting newsletter. It's the best place to be notified about all things Slate Parenting, including mom and dad are fighting, ask a teacher, care and feeding, and much more. Plus, it's just a fun personal email from our one and only Dan each week. So sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. Finally, if you want to talk with other parents, join our parenting group on Facebook. It's super active, super, super active, and it's moderated so it doesn't get too out of control. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. All right, let's get to our listener question time of the show. And we have our first one being read, as always, by the amazing Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad, we have twin 12-year-old girls who are talkative, inquisitive, and thoughtful. Because we're a queer family, we've talked a fair amount about sexual and gender identity. We've also talked about menstruation and how to manage their periods. But we have never talked about sex beyond some early conversations about how babies are made. They have never, in recent memory, asked us a single question about sex. My partner believes that our bringing it up is a breach of their privacy. She says they're avid internet researchers and can research on their own. She also wants to outsource these conversations to the Unitarian Our Whole Lives program, which is great, but not operating nearby during COVID. To her, initiating those conversations ourselves would make them feel their privacy is being invaded. They are indeed private kids. We haven't seen their bodies in quite some time. But I can't imagine not having those conversations with my kids, even if they embarrass them. And I worry that respecting their privacy will make them come to believe that sex isn't something they speak about with us. I don't need the full details of their future sex lives, but I do want them to be able to come to us down the road with questions or dilemmas or, God forbid, coercion or violence. For what it's worth, we've talked to both of them since they were little about bodily autonomy. What do you think? Okay, Elizabeth, what do you think? I think the internet is a terrible place to learn about sex. (laughs) That's what I think. I think that any time that your instinct is, my children should learn about this on the internet, you are wrong. (laughs) That's what I think. Just a universal (laughs) philosophy. That is a good law. That to me says you don't, you are like nervous to talk about this or do this. So the first thing is, it seems like here, if the letter writer wants to talk to the kids, they should talk to the kids. Like, even if the other parent doesn't want to be involved, I feel like all of the letter writers' instincts about why <laughs> they should not, like, leave the internet to do the parenting is, is to me, true, right? Like, sex is an adult issue. It is very complicated. There is a lot of emotional things. It is not just kind of the physical act, which it sounds like they've talked about. And you need an adult to guide you through that. And I think that in and of itself is not a violation of privacy. There can definitely be a conversation about, like, how much are you going to ask your children about, you know, what they're doing or their thoughts. But that is, to me, is very separate than having a conversation and having it be a 
a open thing that you talk about. I also want my children to be able to talk to me not just about like consensual sex, but also about like sexual aggression that might happen or that they might see. And so I think when you're thinking like, oh, well, they can research that on the internet and find out like how it works. Sure. But are you building a relationship in which when something happens, good or bad, that you can be there to help them break that down and talk about how to go forward. And I think you as the adult in this relationship have to be the one to set the stage for that kind of conversation. And if you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. I mean, I sort of am motivated by that in parenting a lot to think, like, I want to be the one who sets the stage for how my kids think about these things. Like they're going to go get other people's opinions and find stuff on the internet regardless of what I do. I at least want my thoughts about this to to set up a basis for how they, you know, think about sex or think about really anything, like anything in parenting. <laughs> I want them to at least know that I have an opinion on it. And here, here is what it is. And let that be the jumping off place. As opposed to the vastness of the internet. What do you think, Dan? I really like Elizabeth's point that it's it's not only a conversation about biology and it's not only biology that they are going to learn from wherever they learn it. It's a parenting conversation about values and uh, about what to do in difficult situations, which is exactly the kinds of things that parents should be talking to tweens about. It's very hard for me to understand the partner's case, and I wish that the letter writer had explained a little bit more what her partner means by saying that bringing up sex is a breach of their children's privacy. Typically, a parent does not wait until a child initiates a conversation about an important issue to talk about it if they feel it's important. You don't wait until your kids ask you about racism to talk about racism. You don't wait until your kids ask you about whether they should touch an electric wire before you talk talk to them about touching an electric wire. Like... These are all things that most parents, I think, feel it's important to talk about and start to build a basis of trust and understanding between you and the child so that when the conversations get tougher, you're there for them. And your instincts, letter writer, are right on that these are conversations you need to have, even if they're a little embarrassed by them at first. You don't even know if they'll be embarrassed by them, but your partner fears they'll be embarrassed. And that embarrassment, it seems to her is the same as a breach of privacy. So yes, even if your partner doesn't want to have these conversations, you're well within your rights to. But I also think it's worth talking to your partner about what these feelings stem from and what she's going to do at the time when the kids do approach her about something that's important to them and whether she'll be ready and willing to have those conversations with them and not just be like, talk to your mom or talk to the internet or whatever. Like she needs to be a participant in this as well. And yes, the idea that the internet is the solution to this is so bananas. I can't even imagine it. Uh, it can only call to mind one of my favorite things that's ever happened in our house, which is, and now Harper was much younger than 12, but she, I think she was maybe seven and she was on a computer in the kitchen and we walked into the kitchen and the instant we walked in, she shut the computer and we were like, oh, hey, what's going on, Harper? And she's like, nothing. <laughs> I'm just going to go to my room. And then she goes to her room. And then we open up the computer and she has Googled the phrase, what do a lady's private parts look like? <laughs> and I will say that actually her results were probably more useful 
than you might expect. But nevertheless, that's like a, some really good search terms, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> it could have gotten so much. Worse. I know. Yes, it it's so true worse. that her Boolean search was mostly on point. But in general, your kid is not going to find the information you want them to find. They're not even going to find good or coherent information, and most likely, it will be like at least mildly traumatizing. So, pointing them toward that Unitarian resource is great. That is a really great program, but. You also have work to do, and you are right to acknowledge that you have work to do, and you need to get your partner on board with this, in my opinion. So I will admit that I, too, laughed and laughed a bit at the suggestion that simply turning to the uh, crack research skills of tweens and the internet would solve this issue for you. But I do wonder if perhaps your partner is afraid of too much sex talk because there's some anxiety about any possible uh, fodder for an accusation of inappropriate behavior as a queer parent. That if, say, what your children got at home was repeated to a friend or a neighbor and taken out of context or, you know, that maybe there's some just super anxiety there and it could be you know perhaps personal anxiety or you know trauma or something resulting from how sex was or was not talked about in their home growing up you know and so i do think that's something to be sensitive to while also acknowledging the absurdity of entrusting even children that are typically very uh good researchers who could find uh the proper things to search for if they were even told what those things would be to be searching for. It's not as if you were talking about your partner issuing them a list of terms that they need to familiarize themselves with or concepts, or these are the things you need to look up or, you know, read articles about this, this, and this, right? It's just the idea that they're going to go find out about sex. And there is so much sex to find out about on the internet, even with the best of filters. So even if you think that you've created a, a situation in which they're not going to end up on Pornhub, this is like entrusting it to the kids at school on steroids. This is like, let the kids at school explain it, but also throw in some potentially very creepy adults. Right. Also, Ron Um, Jeremy goes to your kid's school. Right. There's also a lot of resources out there that are just wrong. Like that wrong. Just bad information. Yes. On both sides. Like you also may get a child that then scares themselves about sex because of all the bad, you know, possible ramifications or just because of the way it's presented. Yes, that's that's the point, that the concern is not just that they're going to find pornography or explicit sex, it's that they're going to find information about sex that is untrue, that could be misleading about uh, safety, or that could, you know, as Elizabeth said, frighten them uh, or traumatize them out of the ability to have a healthy sexuality, which is what you want to encourage. So I would say... In addition to what my co-hosts have offered already, that your conversation with your partner really needs to perhaps start with how are these things talked about in your house growing up, right? Because ostensibly, if these folks are, you know, say in their 30s, this might be the first generation of parents to have the ability to access the Internet. And, and that's, you know, obviously it wasn't the same Internet, but, you know, did your parents tell you to go on AOL you know, uh, did you have two of the families allotted 100 hours for the month to go research sex, you know, or was this something that was talked about with you openly? 
Also looking to, if you have friends, particularly other queer couples that have children that are, you know, older than your kids who've had to walk this walk before, you know, I think they would probably be a really good resource for what this conversation looks like. Ideally, we should be having very similar conversations with all of our children um, about sex, right? Because I'm not just talking to my child about heterosexual sex, but you know what I mean? Like it, it, the conversations about sex have always been about people, you know, as opposed to, you know, a boy and a girl, you know, unless we're talking talking specifically about sex uh, and, and reproduction. And so, and even then, it's not, you know, necessarily a boy and a girl. I, I do think that it may be helpful, especially considering your partner's hesitancy or, or resistance to having the conversation at all, to look to folks who've had a conversation that looks like the one that you all are going to have to have. I think that's great advice. Thank you, Letter Writer. We appreciate you, and we'd be happy to have an update. If you would like for us to consider your parenting quandary, shoot us an email at slate.com or you can post it in the Slate Parenting Facebook group, and we will take it from there. Now we're going to get into our second listener question, which is being read once again by the marvelous Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. I'm the mother of two kids under five, but my question is really about my in-laws. Or maybe it's really about my husband? My in-laws are perfectly nice people. I don't have a lot in common with them, apart from being married to their son. But they are always warm and kind to me. When my husband interacts with them, however, he seems to revert to a surly teenager and is, uncharacteristically, kind of an asshole. Pre-pandemic, we'd see them a few times a year for a long weekend, always at their instigation. My husband is cranky the entire time and acts as if every little thing is a huge burden. He's told me he finds his parents boring and needy and that he'd be fine if he never saw them again and maybe talk to them on the phone once a year. He has close relationships with other relatives of his and great friends from all stages of his life, so he's not generally a misanthrope. This seems specifically reserved for his parents, although he does tend to bristle at doing anything out of obligation. What do I owe my in-laws here? What do I owe my kids in terms of a relationship with their grandparents? I'm tired of playing the constantly cheerful problem solver to counterbalance my husband's grouchy, sullen demeanor when his parents visit or video chat with us. When we visit them, I'm tired of being the one to single-handedly take care of the kids in the early morning and carry on the conversation with his parents for hours while he's sleeping in late to avoid them. I also don't like the idea of perpetuating the stereotype that it's women's role to maintain social relationships and harmony, and modeling that for my son and daughter. To be clear, my husband doesn't expect me to play this role, though he is grateful when I do. Can I let that go? even if it hurts my in-laws and their relationship with my kids? Or do I pick up my husband's slack for everyone else's sake? Thank you. Well, this is a dilly of a pickle. Dan, what do you think? Madam. I'm very sorry. <laughs> okay, this is extremely not your job. Uh, you are putting yourself through the ringer to foster this relationship between your family and your husband's parents and your husband sincerely does not give a shit about this. So we've talked before on the show, I've talked before, about how sometimes we get stuck in these ruts with our adult parents. I think the joke we've made before is we end up, when we hang out with our parents long enough, we end up reverting exactly to the age we were when they annoyed us the absolute most. And somehow we cannot escape that. 
that's understandable to some extent on the part of almost anyone. Often that happens to any grown person and their parents. But it seems like what your husband doesn't understand and needs to understand is that he is being an asshole not only to his parents, but to you. And he's putting you in a horrible position. He needs to figure out what his problem is. And there are a lot of different pieces of advice I think we could give. And I am very eager to hear what you two have to say about this. But one thing I would ask is, I would be really interested to hear what your husband would say if you essentially called his bluff. If you said, do you truly and sincerely want your kids to never see or talk to your parents again? If so, that is a really difficult path for us to follow. And if that is what you truly want, it will hurt me and hurt the kids and hurt your parents. But you are going to have to instigate that and make that happen. If you, like a normal person, do grudgingly agree to let your parents see the kids sometime the way people do with parents, then you are going to have to find a way to make it not horribly unpleasant for me, not more work for me, and for you to pull your weight as part of this marriage and parenting relationship and muster up the bare minimum of civility to get through these times without putting this incredible burden on the rest of us. Because that is just a thing that partners have to do in a situation like this. What do you guys think? I agree that it is not her responsibility. And like in our relationship, something we've struggled with is incorporating families. And when we first, you know, had kids, I managed so much of that. And it wasn't ever like our situation was (laughs) never like this. Um, But I managed so much of the like making sure everybody's families got called, making sure all of that. And it just one, it became too much. And two, I was so worried about things like being fair And I essentially had to say to Jeff, like, you have to manage the relationship with your family and I have to manage the relationship with my family. And so I think that conversation needs to be had with the caveat, though, of like, I think have this conversation, but you also need to evaluate if you think that relationship is worth maintaining. If regardless of your husband's behavior, you think that having these particular people in your kids' lives is important, and then what are you willing to do that is not too much of a burden? It sounds like there is a lot of like them coming or traveling to see the parents, and that is part of this. It is okay, I think, to drop all of that and say like, you know, your son is kind of not willing to manage this or do this, and you guys need to work that out, and maybe he needs some therapy about something that has happened with his parents. Like, I'm interested why why this kind of relationship with an adult, like an adult and adult parents with your children present is okay, right? Like there's all kinds of things like, is this how you want your children to act like our own children to treat us when we are the parents? Because that's what you're modeling. I guess at the end of the day, though, I feel like the issue is really more our letter writer with her husband and saying to him, Dan, kind of like you said, calling his bluff. But I guess sitting down and saying like, this is unacceptable, the way that this is happening, and I'm not going to manage it. And then if he does say, you know, I want nothing to do with my family, then you have to decide, like, how much of that are you willing to accept and how much are you willing to take on? But I think that at that point, what you take on is then your responsibility in managing your kids' relationship with their grandparents. And what are you willing to do there? I really want to know what is at the heart of this guy's issue with his parents. You need to ask your husband, is there something that you do not know 
then you should know because otherwise the way that you're behaving is incredibly childish. Like Elizabeth said, you're setting a terrible example for our children. This is not how you'd want them to come into our home when we're elders, you know, with, with their kids and behave. You know, if there's something awful that they've done or something that he needs to work through, then you, you need to be prepared to do that work with him. And if there's no other reason other than him just simply perhaps having a very different personality from his parents, different interests, if he just doesn't like them as people, then I, I agree with you all that it's time for you to shut down this work that you're doing to keep together uh, his family. And I think that you can find a way to make sure that the children, you know, barring some sort of circumstance where we find out that these are awful, vile people, have access, have the ability, I think encouraging letter writing. I know most kids don't like doing it, but it really is a great skill. And this is an, uh, this is an instance in which, you know, being pen pals with their grandparents might be the best way to keep in consistent contact, right? They won't be around forever. Um, there may come a point where it, they were to look back and say, I wish I did have more time with them. I did enjoy speaking to them. I did, you know, so like having, keeping a connection between them, um, doing, you know, very infrequent visits and, you know, you managing your family and to some level, the relationship between the kids and the grandparents. But again, that's not something that has to require a whole, you know, a, a big production and it doesn't have to take place in person. It could be a monthly phone call. I just say, I can't believe at the house he's like sleeping in and she's like getting up and spending time with the parents and that the parents haven't said anything to that. Like I, th- the whole thing to me is, is so just like, can he not see himself in this situation? Like, has someone not so said to him, weird. this is what it looks like. Like when we were at your parents' house, like you stay in your room, <laughs> you know, that's like, so- well, yeah, that's just- the thing that strikes me the most about this letter is this parenthetical in here to be clear my husband doesn't expect me to play this role though he is grateful that i do clearly he expects you to play this role he's sleeping in to avoid talking (laughs) to his parents and he's leaving you to sit in the living room with them and if he really thinks they are so terrible what does it mean that he is happy to stick you with the onerous task of dealing with these horrible people like that is not cool in about 25 different ways yeah and so you know i i really am like heartbroken at at the total bewilderment evident in this letter (laughs) she simply doesn't understand the person that her husband is becoming in his relationship seemingly only with these people and so yes jamila you're absolutely right that there's some work that has to be done between you and your husband and and probably Elizabeth, as you say, between your husband and a therapist to dig into what this means if there is some something behind this behavior. And if there isn't anything behind this behavior, if he's just being an asshole, then he needs to fucking stop it. The only other hint that the letter writer letter writer gave that there might be some other stuff going on with the husband's behavior is that in general, he doesn't like doing things out of obligation. And so I wonder how that connects to his relationship with his parents. Perhaps his childhood was defined by constantly having to do things, you know, out of obligation, go here, do this, whatever, but that he feels comfortable just completely handing that over to you. Uh, like Dan said, is it, 
that it's just, I don't jive with these people. We don't get along. Or like being around them is so terrible. No one should have to do it. And yet I'm totally fine with my wife and children doing it. And I think that is the language that you need to use. I think you need to say, if these people are so bad, why are you okay with us being here? Why haven't you asked that we just shut this down altogether? I do really empathize with her, though, because I also like things to feel happy and am happy to try to make that work. So I am I want to say, like, I'm glad the letter writer like something has clicked and she's like, okay, (laughs) enough is enough. (laughs) Like, we're not I'm not doing this anymore because I do read that to be like, how now do I move on to kind of the next phase? And I think that is the point. And maybe, Jamila, like you said, maybe it's the obligation thing. And so putting the ball in his court will make it less an obligation and more like, well, he has to set up the visits and maybe then he can choose the place they're going to brunch or the place, you know, whatever activity. Maybe he just needs more control of the situation in which these parental meetings are are happening. Right. I, I was going to say, is it that the things that they want to do are so bothersome for you? Like you're an adult, you know, obviously you have no problem sleeping through them. So you should be able to say, I would prefer to go to the Olive Garden as opposed to Outback or whatever it is that you all want to do. Like, grow up, dude. I hope she writes back and reveals that it really just was that they always wanted to go to Outback, but he prefers the Olive Garden. (laughs) I hope so, too. Yeah. I really do. That would actually be really easy to solve. Very easy. Extremely easy to solve. I think they're even owned by, like, the same company, right? Like, can you just get, like... Use your gift cards at the same Use your gift cards. (laughs) Get your takeout going going in your own homes. (laughs) Well, thank you, Letter Writer. Uh, our sympathies are with you. We hope things work out smoothly. And please send us an update. We are very Please send us an update. Like, yeah, we have to we know. Really, yeah. really need to know because this is this is unique. Fellow listeners, if you want your unique trials and tribulations considered by the esteemed panel of the Mom and Dad are Fighting hosts, please send us a letter to momanddad at slate.com or leave us a note on the Facebook page. Before we get out of here, of course, we're going to do recommendations. Elizabeth, what do you have for us? So I am recommending this free printable, of course, that is um, a thousand hours outside and you can print this tracker and track how many hours you and your family are spending outside. The nice thing I like about this is you do not have to do a thousand hours. You do not even have to do it this year. You can just see how long it takes you to get there. It's something we do every year. It's not really like a resolution, but we just print up this. They're, they're fun. There's a whole bunch of different ones. You get to color them. You can go online and see there's like people that color them based on the temperature outside that day. There People do all kinds of crazy things. We just post ours on the door. We color it. If a thousand hours seems like too much, it is just like a little over two hours a day outside. But if that seems like too much, um, I have another in the show notes um, like tracker that is just each day and just see if you can get outside for any amount of time each day. There's all kinds of studies that show it's good for you. Um, and I like to say like, there's no bad weather, only bad clothes, but we really like to do, it's just like a good motivation. And when we see the chart and how many hours that we're spending outside, we feel really good about it. And then it can even be like, you know, doing, reading a book outside. You don't have to be active. It's just about not being like physically in your house. Just a quick reminder that the Dutch saying there is no such thing as bad weather, <laughs> only bad clothes sounds totally different coming from someone who lives in Florida. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Elizabeth sending her kids out in hurricanes. Best mom ever. What about you, Dan? I am recommending a website called worldofsnacks.com, a fabulous website I discovered in the run-up to Christmas this year. We have a fun tradition uh, with my wife's family where we um, 
put things in people's stockings and it's a secret stocking Santa deal where everyone puts something stuff ends up in your stocking from everyone, but it's not labeled and you have to guess who gave it to you. So this year, my theme for all the stuff that went, ended up in people's stockings was snacks from around the world. And I got them all on worldofsnacks.com. I got, you can get like Filipino hot garlic corn nuts and Mexican elote lollipops and hazelnut candy from Italy and Korean barbecue beef chips, which were the perfect gift for Lyra, carnivore extraordinaire. But anyways, it's a, a very fun, slightly ramshackle site that appears to just be run by some couple in like Santa Cruz or something. Um, it's about as far away from Amazon as you can get, but it's totally delightful and you can find all kinds of fun things on it. Worldofsnacks.com. Thank you. I needed more reasons to gain more weight. It's great for that. I'm sure it is. So I am recommending, I know the holiday season is over. Uh, Most of you all might not have too many more toys left to buy, but I would be remiss if I didn't tell you all about Healthy Roots dolls. She's a big girl doll. She's not a baby doll. Um, And they are described as natural dolls for natural girls. And they have, for folks who are shopping for uh, African-American girls or for black girls, I should say, Oftentimes, it's hard to find dolls that don't have hair that either is very loosely curled or it's extremely straight um, or it's kind of that tight biracial curl that uh, isn't, quite frankly, the most common hair texture that you see on little black girls. Healthy Roots dolls have dolls that come in as wavy as a 3B and as tightly coiled as a 4C. And they come in a variety of complexions and they're absolutely beautiful. They have like a little cool hair tutorial on the back. Um, I love them. Naima loves her. She has a Zoe doll. I think the other girls are Dora, Miranda, and Gianna. And they're just super pretty. So if you have a little black girl in your life who needs a doll and who's into hair and someone perhaps you want to encourage to celebrate their natural hair, then I would suggest checking out the Healthy Roots Dolls, which you can purchase at www.healthyrootsdolls.com. They have videos on here on how to do like all kinds of different hairstyles. Yes. (laughs) The little girls doing them. Oh my gosh. Love it. Great recommendation. This is so cute. Just leave me while I browse these. (laughs) I know. They're super adorable. And they also have um, a hair styling book available for purchase oh, on the website great. too they're 18 inches so i think they also will fit all of the like 18 inch doll clothes across all brands and what everyone means to say is that they're the same size as american girl dolls yes they're but american girl doll size too, like target target has a huge section of 18 inch doll clothing yeah yes uh, yeah for american girl dolls yes sure. and the my generation doll also a very nice doll that a lot of mm. girls have that plays very well with American Girl dolls and Healthy Roots dolls. All the dolls for all the girls. I am and all the boys and all the gender nonconforming kids. I am pro dolls for all children. I am a doll evangelist. Me too. Dolls, 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 dolls. Okay, so one last thing before I read the credits, because it's actually about the credits. If you are one of the kind souls who listens to the show all the way through the end, you might have noticed that one name sounds a little bit different at the end of the show than it does at the beginning. For Elizabeth Newcamp and Dan Qua. Dan Qua. And Dan Qua, I'm Vice President Jamila Lemieux. 
So over the holidays, um, we got a question from a listener. The listener said, it seems to me that Jamila doesn't know how to pronounce Dan's last name and it bugs me to pieces. I can't tell if she's doing it on purpose. And if she's not, then it just makes me cringe. While I normally skip the ending credits, I will listen to them if Jamila's hosting just to see what she says. <laughs> Is Dan not bothered by this? So... First of all, it's working because she listens to the whole (laughs) closing credits. I need to start putting an Easter egg in my closing credits. I think everyone needs one now. So you guys have to come up with your your hook. It's funny because somebody compared this to the Key and Peele sketch. um, Because this happened to me recently with someone else's name. Oh, Mm -hmm. you know what it was? Trader Joe's had like, well, now they're not doing this anymore. But they're sea salt. You saw this, I think. Yeah, I saw this Uh, on your Instagram. They have a sea salt caramel. And they said it was made by Trader Jacques. And I read it and I was like, ooh, Trader Jacques. You know, like just... (laughs) Automatically, I read it in African-American. So I'm not saying that... Qua is a nod to African-American vernacular at all. I routinely mispronounce it. Sort of Senegalese, I'd say. And perhaps, perhaps. I thought it sounded a little bit French, maybe a little Creole, but um, I just do this. One day I I said it in complete earnest about a year ago, and Dan was like shocked. He's like, I'm your editor. I'm like, do you think I listen to the show to the end? (laughs) You know, like... And at the beginning, when you're saying your name, I'm trying to gather my notes, you know, but like, and I've read your name a million times, but that's reading it, you know? And so I like Qua. That's honestly the only reason that I continue to do it is that I just think it's better than Kois. I don't disagree. The backstory is that Jamila did it one time and I took umbrage. And so now she just does it, I believe, just to annoy me. But Dan Qua actually was for a long time. That was sort of my in the early days of the internet, that was like my internet name, the way we all had internet names that were like our AOL instant messenger handles back when we would do that before we realized that it's much better to just have your name be your Gmail address. But the first writing job I ever got paid for was writing for television without pity, doing recaps on television without pity. And my name on television without pity where everyone had fake names was Dan Qua K W A H. So no letter writer, it does not bother me. I find it delightful makes me laugh every single time and it reminds me of the one time ever in the history of the show that Jamila was wrong. <laughs> doesn't happen doesn't happen often. I know we got to treasure those moments gotta, where we, we find them. We got to treasure those moments. Well, there you go. So thank you for sticking around to the end of this show. It would be so ironic if today was just a day that she was like, "Ugh, I can't even Forget because it. I know she's going to do it and it's going to bother me. I'm just not." And so like she missed her whole shout out. Yep. But Hopefully she heard it. And if not, you guys heard it. So thank you for listening to our show. One last time, if you need advice, please send us that email, momanddad at slate.com or post to the Slate Facebook Parenting Group, which you can find just by searching for Slate Parenting and hoping that we approve you for membership. There's a couple of questions to answer. And so if you don't do that, you probably won't be approved. So answer the questions. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Dan Newcamp and Dan Quartz, I'm Jamila Lemieux. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.